What you're about to hear is a re-release of an interview I conducted with the National Eczema Association back in October of 2021 for our Community Spotlight series. Hi, and welcome to Pedro's Community Spotlight. I am so excited to be highlighting the National Eczema Association. October is National Eczema Awareness Month, and I am so pleased to be joined by Wendy smith Bogolka. She's the Vice President of Scientific and Clinical Affairs at NIA. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Jen. It's my pleasure to be here. I just am so thrilled. I talked to a patient family from NIA a couple of weeks ago, and I just... The, or, the work the organization is doing is so powerful and it's making such a big difference. And I wondered if you could kind of start from the beginning, give us like a little bit of history of how Nia got started and kind of where things are right now. Sure. Uh, so the National Eczema Association actually got started um, over 30 years ago. It was 1988. So how many years wow. is that? Like 34? I've lost, I can't do quick math in my head. But um, it actually started at uh, with John Hannafin and Susan Tofty and Irene Cross at Oregon Health Sciences University, uh, a combination of a physician and a patient and a nurse practitioner who came together and realized that this was a community that was very much in need of having uh, a support organization, because until that time, there really wasn't a um, dedicated uh, eczema support group for patients in the United States. There were some globally, but not here in the United States. And, and clearly, I think what we've learned over the 30 years is that it couldn't have been a better time to start that conversation and, and continue to build on that. Um, so that initial nugget of an idea brought us to, to where we are today, which is uh, the largest um, U.S. patient advocacy organization representing all forms of eczema here in the U.S. We've got um, well over 100,000 um, patients and family members that are, you know, I would call our members. We're not a membership organization, but are connected to us. Mm -hmm. And um, we just recently launched a new blueprint, you know, strategic plan for uh, the next five years, which actually includes a new mission statement as well, a more refined wow. mission statement. I don't know how many organizations can say they do. They've been around long enough to say that, you know, we, we see a, a stronger pathway for ourselves forward. And and one that really is fueled by our community members doing the work with them alongside of them. Um, and so our new mission is really to support broadly our eczema community that's fueled by knowledge and uh, strengthened through collective action and then really propelled by the promise of a better future. And in eczema, we are on the cusp of some really exciting hopefully new treatments, but that's going to mean so much is going to change for the future, not only in care, but in lives, you know, that will be hopefully positively impacted. I so love that the foundation of National Eczema Association began with a physician and a patient, because I think that so beautifully illustrates what you all are doing so well to this day, even like over the last 30 years, you've, you've really constructed this organization around research and the clinical side, but just as equally around the patient side. And, and I think you're really, it's really inspiring how you all are doing that. So can you talk a little bit about um, how, and we'll get into the research in a minute, but how does NEA support their community members, their patients? Sure. I think first and foremost, it starts with education, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, most people when they're getting that diagnosis of eczema for the first time, or even think they might be getting that diagnosis, it can be rather overwhelming. And so they're looking for 
you know, information, information to help themselves, information to help their families, information that they can use in their daily lives, but also use potentially with their healthcare providers. So I think that is, is probably the, the biggest place that we spend um, our efforts is really making sure that we are working with our community members to give them tools and tips and tricks and insights from not only the physicians and researchers that we know and work with, but also from each other, you know, from some of their um, peers, if you will, that have had eczema for some time, what have they learned on their way? And just really kind of share that broader knowledge base, if you will, about, okay, you know, sort of welcome to the family. It, it may not be a family you wanted to be a part of, but we welcome you. We don't want you to feel like you're alone. Mm-hmm. And, and we're here to support you in the best way that we possibly can. So it sort of starts with that education, but it, it really does grow into that, you know, wrap your arms around them and help them to understand that they, you know, can kind of come out from behind um, you know, they don't have to hide. They can be out there living their best life. And um, there's uh, certainly the research that we we work on helps to contribute to that. But um, fundamentally, it's a pro- about providing that and, and advocating for them ha- to have resources to to really go out and, and do the li- have the life that they would want to have just as we all do. Mm. Absolutely. That was the one thing the patient family I spoke to said that um, once they finally found a treatment that worked for their daughter, they finally got their lives back. And that's a really powerful statement that I think a lot of us don't quite process in the same way that people who are affected by diseases like eczema process. Like you get your life back if you have some relief. Um, And it's just really important for people to understand that there's a lot of your life that is removed when you're struggling with a disease like eczema. Yeah. So I want to segue with that in mind into the research. Um, Just talk about, you know, broad strokes of research that Nia's working on, but then also if there's anything specific you can talk about, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the best way to think about the the research that Nia does is actually probably in, in two big lanes. Um, one is is the research that we fund. Um, NIA has been a funding organization for research, much like PEDRA, mm-hmm. you know, has has grants as well. Um, we fund other um, investigators from uh, not only within the United States, but actually around the world to conduct um, different types of eczema research, whether it's sort of understanding that basic science or understanding a little bit more about how to improve care. But we've been doing that. We're actually in our 18th year of, of funding grants. Um, so it certainly well predates my you know, tenure at NIA, but I've been excited to see that just grow now to funding you know, over $1.8 million you know, over that period of time. But now we have four different funding mechanisms to bring in researchers from really you know, ones that are just starting out to ones that are very senior in their tenure in research. And sort of there's, there's a grant for everybody, if you will, who has an interest in continuing to um, enhance what we know or, or fill gaps about what we don't know around eczema biology or, um, you know, really how to uh, better understand what is happening in this disease. So we can, you know, help people get their lives back and, and hopefully match treatments to them. So that's in the, in the research we fund. And the newer lane for NIA is more what we call research we do. And this is a lane that's really started probably only over the past year and a half or so, but it's an acknowledgement that, you know, certainly the, you know, providing funds and helping other researchers, you know, understand and and take on studies that are important to them is, is certainly important. 
we recognize that there were certainly gaps in the literature. And one of the biggest gaps that's in the literature is just understanding that lived experience of the mm -hmm. patient, that patient voice. Mm -hmm. And so we uh, essentially decided to create this new framework to bring out what is now beginning to be called real world evidence to help understand and complement what other researchers and other settings are beginning to understand about eczema, really kind of round out that picture of like, okay, the pieces that you have are, are important pieces, but we're able to now bring another important piece and kind of complete the holistic view of, of what's actually happening to a patient's life. Um, so that we do that through surveys primarily. And so we have a number of different um, survey opportunities throughout the year, but we're also doing that through what we call um, a, a research registry, which is our eczema-wise app that we've just mm -hmm. created. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that is um, at its on its face, it's intended to be a, a way to promote shared decision-making, which is really just a way for patients to utilize what's happening in their daily life, how much they're itching, how bad their sleep is, um, how much skin pain they're having and kind of track all of that information and then bring it when they're going to their healthcare provider to then say, look at this is what's actually happening to me since the last time I saw you. Do we need to change something or this isn't really working for me? What else can we think about? Um, so it's intended to facilitate that conversation, but the back end of all of that is data and it's data that doesn't exist anywhere else. And I like to call it actually like real, real world evidence as uh, mm -hmm. many of my friends and colleagues know because um, it isn't being collected in a clinical setting. It's what's happening every single day out there in the world. And, and it's where the majority of us spend our lives, you know, just going about trying to do the best that we can. And yet that's probably the biggest lack of understanding we have is how does that contribute to how well or how not well things continue to work for patients or don't work for patients. And so we're excited to be building it. Um, it is, uh, it launched last October, but it really collectively, that whole research we do lane is all about helping and to elevate that patient voice and that lived experience. I think that's fantastic. I mean, you have these great opportunities for researchers to get access to funding for projects that, you know, can directly fill the gaps that you're learning about in real time. I mean, that's really exciting. It is. And, and I think that's the, you know, the hope down the road is, is that once we have, you know, a large enough uh, data set and things like that, researchers will also be able to use that to ask mm -hmm. different research questions that probably haven't been able to be answered before. You know, patients tend to have a lot of more practical research questions than a lot of research questions tend to be mm -hmm. right now. And so this might be the perfect mechanism to be able to address some of those in a way that hasn't been able to be done before. So we're hoping in the future to have a, a funding mechanism for researchers to be able to do that, hopefully in concert with some patients that have contributed the data. I love that. I mean, I think the number one way that patients can feel like they've got some sort of tiny amount of control is to participate in the science and the research, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like the one thing they can do that isn't just suffering and having to figure out how to live with it, you know? Right. Absolutely. And research is a it can be a scary term, Absolutely. you know, for patients to and caregivers to think about, even when I think about it. I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind is it's always a clinical trial or it's always mm -hmm. this big, you know, study, which it certainly is that. 
but it isn't always that. And so I really appreciate what you said about it makes it more attainable, you know, and feeling like you can actually make an impact short of feeling like the only way you can contribute is through a clinical trial mm -hmm. um, or some other type of study similar to that. And so this is much more, uh, we hope reachable and we think reachable for a, a number of patients and where, a place where they can see perhaps a little bit more immediate impact in their daily life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a clinical trial is so daunting and, you know, not everybody is the right fit for a clinical trial. And, you know, you then you have patients that fail out of clinical trial. I mean, it's just, it would right. be so overwhelming to be faced with that choice. So being able to contribute to the science in real time and in an, a way that's super accessible, like on your phone, on the day to day, I mean, that's brilliant. I'm, I'm was, I remember hearing about this app being launched last October, I think maybe right around our PEDRA meeting. And it was exactly. Yes. And I was so excited. I mean, what a great way to organize the data. I mean, it's just great. Yeah, thank you. And, and importantly, it was something that, you know, what I think is the really other exciting part about XMOIs and, and just the work that we're doing in that space is it really is that true partnership, that collaboration. I mean, we listen to patients, we listen to the researchers, we listen to the healthcare providers, and we tried to come up with something that I'll say sort of like had a little bit for everybody, you know, it had and but it was important to do that so that whatever, because that's the point, right, whatever is, is found out of research has to be meaningful, it has to be able to be well understood and well appreciated for, for what it can create and what it can tell us. And so it has to have all of those elements in order to um, really be the most effective in the long run. And so we we're continuing to do that and we'll continue to do that certainly with, with our work and, and it's an important, but it's an important component of, of, of how we approach the work we do. I think it's so great. I want to go back on something you said a little bit earlier when you were talking about like how to, this really helps like hone the, the research questions. Like you said, patients really come forward with a lot of really practical research questions. And, and I think that perfectly highlights the value of having organizations like NIA be partnered with organizations like PEDRA, because we can have that patient voice contributed at the research table. Right. And I mean, I, I know of times when a patient has said something in one of our you know, work group sessions, and it shifted the entire focus of the work group. And it was a completely different study because of that, and one that was much more applicable to the patients in the long run. So talking about building bridges between patients, physicians, and researchers, um, we just got a really important announcement today. And it looks like PCORI has agreed to fund a partnership between NIA and PEDRA. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that project. Yeah, absolutely. Hot off the presses and just so exciting to hear. This was um, uh, such an exciting project to just even be thinking about, let alone know that you're going to be able to, to bring it to fruition. Yes. But it is, to, to use your phrase, it's about building bridges. You know, so I mentioned before that, you know, research and particularly, you know, comparative effectiveness research and patient centeredness in that aspect of it can be a very daunting aspect, you know, kind of con. Uh, different kind of um, research to think about. It can be very complex and, and sometimes it can minimize how easily people can have conversations and, and kind of come to the table 
ready to uh, sort of hear and listen and receive and, and you and be able to apply that information. And so the thought behind the grant is really to use an approach that has started to gain a lot of traction. All of us have apps. And so we're used to sort of using apps. We're used to sort of being incentivized to use things. And so it's the idea to use this approach to help sort of build the knowledge base on both sides so that we're not solely focusing on what patients need to know, we're not solely focusing on what researchers need to know, we're kind of building both sides simultaneously. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of importance in that because it's assuming that both sides have something to learn, both sides have something to gain, and they're actually going to be getting the same kinds of information. So it helps build that ability to sort of speak the same language, even though that isn't always necessary, but arrive at a little bit of more common ground with the idea that, okay, if you're all coming to the table with sort of the same mindset and the same understanding of how this can be important and how this can impact not only the research side, but how it can affect patient care and future research questions, then you have a starting point and you mm -hmm. have a way to actually begin facilitating those conversations. So those research um, meetings that you were talking about where there's that table, I envision a lot more people being able to be fluent at that table, mm -hmm. being able to go back and forth. So it might not be just a, a single patient having an idea. It can be multiple patients having an idea, multiple researchers thinking like, oh my God, this is a really great thing. I can run with that. And they can piggyback on it too. So mm -hmm. it's it's about really bringing, recognizing what each can bring to the table and helping them both figure out how they can get to the table to have an impactful conversation. Um, and so I'm looking forward to being able to kick it off and, uh, and the partnership that we have with Pedra to do it as well. Well, we are so fortunate to have such a wonderful relationship with Nia, and we're so proud of the work that Nia's done, and we're proud to be a part of this um, project coming up. And so talking so much about research, let's look ahead, you know, like four or five years in the future. What does research look like for Nia? Yeah, I think that's a really great question, and it's such an important one, and really is an important one from the perspective of when we started in that, you know, near research we do lane with the surveys and XMOIs in particular, it was with the, what are the questions that we want to ask now so that five to 10 years from now, we can actually in a longitudinal way, you know, over the long term mm -hmm. sort of say now, well, what has changed? Because for the longest time, the question around eczema and perhaps atopic dermatitis very specifically has been, at least from the patient perspective, trying to understand what the burden of disease looks like, mm -hmm. you know, and trying to document that from a symptomatic perspective, from, um, a, from a sort of social perspective, psychological perspective. And, and we're still not done with that entirely. You know, there's still work to be done there, but we certainly know a lot more now than we did even five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but what's exciting about knowing that that's sort of where we sit now is that with the evolution of all of what we think are going to be a lot of new therapies that are going to come out in the next five to 10 years is that that conversation is likely going to pivot. It's going to pivot a little bit away from sort of like, what is the burden, but it's going to be, what is the remaining burden? You know, so we know that these therapies are just that they're therapies. They're not a cure. Mm -hmm. They're going to work for some, they're not going to work for others. They're going to work for variable lengths of time. They're going to impact different symptoms, different aspects of their life differently. We know eczema is a very diverse disease. So the question is going to pivot. It's going, so we're in a position now with what we're collecting <clears throat> and in the various different eczema wise and surveys to be able to say, 
How has that burden, is it changing? Is it changing? Who is it changing for? And what are the remaining unmet needs? So it will be a way to sort of document our progress, if you will, towards the ultimate goal, which is hopefully eventually finding a cure. But short of that, we still want innovation in the space. We still want patients to be able to get their lives back. So how much more do we need to be able to do that and to do it in a way that kind of hits as many of those different burden dimensions as possible. So that's what we're we're shooting for. We're shooting for our ability to be able to tell that story in as much depth as we possibly can. Um, because we know that there's no aspect of, of a person's life that is really untouched when they get this diagnosis, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I love the, the care that you took in thinking this through for the next five to 10 years and how you would start to shrink that burden and then find out what's left. What's, what's the burden we haven't met yet. I mean, that's, I, it's just a really great way to think about it. Um, okay. So for a little bit of time now, we've been hearing some rumblings about some changes that are coming or some announcements around new therapies. Is there anything there you can speak to? Yeah. So we, there, there's no less of, of 90 different therapies actually that are in development right now for atopic wow. dermatitis. So it's, it's a really, um, busy and inspiring, you know, landscape that we're looking at right now. Um, and some are clearly much farther along than others. Just this past mm-hmm. month, um, there was recently approval of a new topical medication, ruxolidinum cream for atopic dermatitis for mild to moderate atopic dermatitis. So that's a, a brand new medication that will hopefully be available in the not too distant future. Um, but there's certainly others that are being considered by the FDA right now as well that are called oral jack inhibitors. And so while, you know, it's, it's still up to the FDA as to where those will land eventually uh, in terms of their approval or not. I think what our community is is excited just to see, you know, is that there is so much innovation in this space because for the longest time they had very few options and, and certainly the majority of those short of now. Um, obviously the topical I just mentioned, dupilumab was one that got approved a few right. years ago, there were some other topicals that got approved for atopic dermatitis before that. Um, there wasn't a lot, you know, let alone specifically approved for, for AD or other eczemas. And so I think there's a lot of um, anxious anticipation for, for what um, this could mean for, for patients and, and their lives um, and an excitement as well for what it could mean for even others that are still in development down the road. And so our, our community is just waiting to, to hopefully have an opportunity to try them um, if it's an appropriate option for them, uh, should they be approved. That's really exciting. I know that uh, we might be coming back to you for another interview once we hear the announcements and exactly what's going on. No problem. Well, I just wanna say thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. The message and the work that Nia is doing and that you are doing is so valuable and so important to our investigators and to our patient community. So I just really appreciate all of that time and hard work. Um, Well, thank you for saying that, Jen. I mean, it's a true privilege to do the work that I do and my colleagues do um, in, in service to the over 30 million, uh, you know, Americans that let alone globally that are affected right. by eczema. And so we're looking forward to be able through everything that we do to help make their lives better. Excellent. Thank you so much, Wendy. Thank you. 
Thank you so much to the National Eczema Association and Wendy Smith-Bogolka for joining us for this month's Community Spotlight. It was such a joy learning about the organization and all the amazing work they're doing. There are lots of opportunities for investigators to get funding. Uh, make sure that you check out the activities uh, for National Eczema Awareness Month at www.nationaleczema.org. And stay tuned for more of 